0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Heavenly Father, as we come to our time in your word, I pray uh, that uh, you would be glorified. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, show us where Where our peace comes from, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our ears and our eyes to the to the glory that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, show us the gift and the strength and the mercy and the grace that we receive through Him. And so, it's in His name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11, if you want to start heading there in your Bibles, where, as I said last week, we're going to continue our Advent series going through the liturgical uh, Advent calendar, and if you know me, when I say liturgical, I don't mean all that garbage with, as a good friend of mine says, smells and bells um, and candles and all that mess. We're going to strip all that away and just talk about the themes that are involved in the liturgical calendar. Last week we talked about hope, but it wasn't just any hope. It was the hope that we have in Christ that exists not in the absence of of heartache, but in the midst of it. That's the kind of hope we saw last week. This week our theme is going to be peace. Peace. Because when it comes to Christmas... One thing that always happens, it doesn't matter if you're a young, old, man, woman, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. Everyone this time of year gets pounded by propaganda. Now, propaganda that if you buy this new thing or use this new product, your Christmas will be perfect. You'll have peace. That child you haven't seen in years will magically show up at the door and surprise you if you drink this or that. If you buy this new thing, that relationship will be healed. If you use this new product, there won't be any fighting this year. This will be the year that instead of everyone just getting sick of each other and wanting to leave, they'll actually stay. The reason we're assaulted with these ads this time of year is because they work. And the reason they work is because advertisers have unknowingly uh, tapped into the spiritual DNA of mankind that universal awareness that something's wrong, that this isn't how it should be. It's an innate longing for peace that everyone has, a a striving to find that new thing that will make all things right. Because it's a longing that that goes far deeper than just Christmas. It's a longing that everyone has all all year round. It's It's a peace mankind is constantly stumbling around in the dark to try to find maybe this new law will bring peace maybe this new education thing will bring peace maybe this new treaty will bring peace mankind is convinced that peace is achievable if we if we can just lay hold of that right new thing which is why this morning in the midst of all of this all the propaganda of this time of year i want to show you that whether it be personally or globally, peace is not found in something new, but in someone old. That peace is not found in something new, but in someone old. Look at, look at the first verse of Isaiah chapter 11. He says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, now many of you are familiar with this term, the root of Jesse, or the shoot from the stump of Jesse. But this is one of those passages where our familiarity with it can can really kind of wash out a lot of the depth to what Isaiah is saying. Meaning, to, to understand this shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse in chapter 11, we have to understand what Isaiah has already said. You see, much like our day, Israel, during the time of Isaiah... They're filled with conflict, greed, injustice, oppression, all of that. Let me show you what I mean. Flip to your left to the first chapter of Isaiah a little bit. Let's just look at a couple of passages. Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 23. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 23. Isaiah says, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. That sounds really familiar. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. In other words, your leaders are just lining their own pockets, and they're doing it at the expense of the weak. Flip to your right a little bit, chapter 5, verse 8. Isaiah says, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field, until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Meaning, uh, think of people like uh, creating monopolies. They're just taking everybody's stuff. They're putting it all together until they have this moat of like property around them. Flip a few more verses to or a few more, maybe a page to verse twenty of chapter five. Isaiah says, "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter." Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Listen, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Again, the abuse of innocence. Look at at chapter 10, verse 1. Isaiah says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who who keep writing oppression. Meaning, it's one thing if your leader uh, uh, makes a, a, a wicked decree, but it's another thing for the people who are supposed to enact it to, say, to, to, to actually do it. Instead of saying, I ain't going to enforce that. But they do, they follow right along. Which, which is why, looking at those few verses, in the rest of chapter 10, Isaiah prophesies that Assyria is going to come and attack and, and conquer Israel. Wiped them out because of all of this iniquity. But God says, if you look at verse 21 of of chapter 10, God says, even though Assyria is coming, He says, a remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to to the mighty God. Skip down to verse 24. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. So, you see here that that there is hope. However, before that day, before the day the Lord's anger subsides, judgment comes. And, And verses 28 through 32 of chapter 10 are kind of like a road map of how Assyria came down from the north and just systematically wiped out all of Israel. Which brings us to Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33 and 34, which is kind of like a closing scene of this judgment section. By the time we get to, to Isaiah 10, 33 and 34, Israel has been warned. They have disregarded all of the said warnings and Assyria has been brought in by the Lord's hand to wipe them out. And, and, and verse 33 and 4 are kind of like you're surveying the aftermath of what's going on. Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So chapter 10 closes with a forest, or maybe I should say what used to be a forest. At the end of chapter 10, because of all their pride and all their greed and all their idolatry, Isaiah wants you to picture Israel like a forest that has been cut down to the ground. God swung his scythe through through Israel and nothing is left but stumps as far as the eye can see. By the end of of Isaiah chapter 10 there are no branches waving in the wind. There are no birds singing. In fact, there's no life at all. Nothing is is taking place here. There's no movement. There's no sound. Because kind of like divine strip mining. After God is through there's nothing left but this vast wasteland of failure. The only thing that might be left is, is the Wind blowing through the ashes and the dust. But wait. Isaiah says something over there catches your eye. It's something standing out against all the brownish gray of destruction. It's something green that's coming out of one of the stumps. So so you run over there to see what it is. And in this vast wasteland of God's judgment, you see this little sprig. This, this little green shoot that's growing out of the stump of Jesse, all alone, all by itself. There's nothing else. There's this little new growth. Now, if you haven't caught on to this in your own, let me help you. I told you that peace comes from someone old, not something new. So how can I say that if this is a new shoot? Well, it's important to understand how the Hebrew mind understood what Isaiah was describing. You see, Isaiah is describing, oftentimes, Isaiah uses the olive tree a lot. He's describing uh, Israel like olive trees. That's the image that he's using. And, and this kind of olive tree can live for hundreds of years. In fact, there's olive trees in Israel today, this kind of olive tree, that are estimated to be over a thousand years old. So, so while this shoot is coming from the stump of Jesse, while it sounds like something new to us, To the Hebrew mind, it was not. To the Hebrew mind, even though the shoot might be fragile, even though it might be new growth, it was considered to be part of the tree. Meaning to the Hebrew mind, even though this shoot is is fragile, it's ancient. Kind of like a boy who was born about 2,000 years ago. A boy who, even though he was an infant, even though he was born into obscurity without any strength or, or what we might consider might, status. Even though he had none of that, he was born into an ancient dynasty of kings as the prince of peace. That's what Isaiah is describing. Because peace is not found in something new, but in someone old. But this ancient baby had more than just a royal lineage. Look at verse 2. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. In other words, peace is not found in something new, but in someone old on whom the Spirit of God rested. Peace is found on someone old on whom the Spirit of God rested. You see this root of Jesse that Isaiah is describing, he didn't need our methods of peace. He didn't need all of the processes and mechanisms that we have to go through to find peace. He didn't need influence or power or authority. He didn't need any of that because the Spirit of God rested upon him meaning he doesn't need investigations and panels and, and, and education uh, to understand what's wrong and how to fix it. Because verse 2 tells us the spirit of God's wisdom and understanding rested upon him. He had God's omniscience. His understanding that transcends anything we, 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 we can comprehend. He knows who, how, what, and why. Everything has happened and will happen to every person for all of eternity. And he doesn't just have understanding. No, verse 3 tells us the spirit of God's counsel and might also rested on him. Meaning he he didn't need anyone else's advice to know how to do something perfectly. He has the perfect counsel of God resting upon him. And not only does he not need anyone's counsel, but he doesn't need anyone's help either. He has the spirit of God's perfect, mighty omnipotence resting on him. But lest we think that this is just some special dude, Isaiah says he also has the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord resting upon him. Meaning this, listen, Not only is he perfectly capable of doing whatever he wants without anyone's help, but he's also perfectly worthy of doing whatever he wants without anybody's advice. Because he is morally and ethically purer and superior to any other human who ever lived. In other words, listen, peace doesn't come from something new, but from someone old, who, unlike everybody else in the sorry history of humanity, He could not be deceived or misled because his insight and understanding it penetrates through all experiences to hearts and minds and intentions. He knows what you're doing and why you're doing it. He's someone old whose righteousness and faithfulness are not something he learned, but it's simply who he is. Someone old whose might and rule will correct all of the massive wrongs that have been forced on others to accept. Meaning, Peace is not found in something new, but in someone old, listen, who is perfectly qualified, perfectly equipped and perfectly capable of bringing about the peace we want so badly. What, what peace is it that you desire so badly? What, what conflict do you desperately want to be resolved? What is it that's that strain, that stress that's keeping you up, At night? Is it it something with a friend at work or school? I don't know, maybe for you it's something larger. Maybe it's the the chaos and the conflict that just seems to consume our culture. Maybe you're in need of, of peace with something more personal, more intimate. Is there conflict in your marriage that you can't seem to solve? Do you have a child that's walked away and no matter what you do, you cannot mend that rift? I don't know, maybe you're experiencing the immense conflict of feeling like you have to harm your own daughter emotionally in order to protect your granddaughter. I don't know, what is it? Because peace is not found in something new, but in someone old. Someone old on whom the Spirit of God rested after he was baptized about 2,000 years ago. Someone old of of whom God said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's where peace is found. How, exactly, is this root of Jesse going to do that? If this root of Jesse, if this Prince of Peace is... Is, is capable, if he has the spirit of God's understanding and might and knowledge resting upon him, then how exactly is he going to fulfill his job description? I'll well, look at the second half of verse 3. Isaiah says, "...he shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with, iniqu- with equity for the meek of the earth." And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In other words, this is really important. Peace is not found in something new. It's not found in something new, but in someone old, listen, who judges righteously. That's where peace is found. Peace is found in someone old who judges righteously. If if you look back up at the second half of verse 3, Isaiah says this root of Jesse, he doesn't judge by what he sees or hears. What does that mean? Well, I want you to think about the conflict just as an example going on right now in, in Israel. There is so much garbage coming out about what's going on over there. There is evil against good. Or evil, uh, good against evil. There's people saying this is why it's happening. The people know this is why it's happening. No, this, there's all this information coming out. But what Isaiah is saying is the root of Jesse isn't swayed by what people say or do. He just knows. He knows who's right and who's wrong. But here's the thing even though, as an example, if we look at this thing going on, even though we know. Uh, let's say Israel is, is, is doing something good. They're, they're trying to stem the tide of evil, even though we know that's happening. Here's the thing. Look at verse 3 again. In that instance in the Middle East, regardless of who's at fault, the fact of the matter is the death of innocence on both sides is catastrophic. And there isn't a single person ever who could bring peace to that area without innocent death. The the wisest leader with the biggest, most well-funded military using the, the best new tech in cooperation with the most extensive humanitarian organizations, all of it, you put it all together, the best we could do would still have innocent casualties on our hands. Because Look, the thing is, is whether you are a leader trying to bring peace to a country or a parent just trying to bring peace to your house, there will always be innocent casualties. Because innocence always suffers at the hands of mankind's inadequate attempts to achieve peace. It's how this broken world works. But what Isaiah is saying in verses 4 and 5 is that this shoot from the stump of Jesse... He is capable of doing what mankind cannot. Meaning, this root of Jesse is capable of striking and killing the wicked, while at the same time preserving and protecting the innocent, listen, with perfect accuracy. With perfect accuracy. When the root of Jesse judges, not a single wicked person survives, and not a single innocent person is harmed. In other words, peace doesn't come from something new. It comes from someone old who judges perfectly. Someone old who, for example, guarded orphans and widows. Someone old who 2,000 years ago championed the dignity of women, while at the same time tore into hypocrites, just leveled people who were... Who are, who are putting down the, the weak for their own benefit. Someone old who did all of that, who judged and condemned with perfect accuracy. That's where peace comes from. And what's the result of this perfect judgment? Look at verse 6. Isaiah says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze; their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy. In all my holy mountain, of the earth shall be full. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In other words, the result of this shoot of Jesse's perfect judgment is peace. It's perfect peace. But look close at how Isaiah expresses the depth of this peace through the imagery. For for example, the the peace this, this root brings is not just peace between people. It's not just peace between you and your friend. No, it's a peace that penetrates all of nature. It's a peace where... Not only other people won't try to kill you, but the ocean won't either. It's a systemic piece where death has been so eradicated that, that, like verse 7 says, even predators will become herbivores. What Isaiah is describing here is a return to the garden. I mean, imagine that first day that, that Adam took a step out, out of the garden and his friend the lion tried to eat him. He's like, what the heck, man? I thought we were cool. And imagine how that felt. Imagine the first fight between Adam and Eve. God, that was... Mm. When Adam's like, what did you do? And she's like, well, you in it. It's just instant conflict. And Isaiah is describing how everything is just going back to normal going back to right, going back to peace. And and not only has everything been put at peace, but see, if if everything was at peace with us, we'd still be nervous. Like, when's it going to break? But but in this this peace that this root of Jesse has brought, this peace is so sure, it's so certain, it's so indisputable that, that even fear is done away with. That's the kind of peace that's found, not in something new, but in someone old. Now again, let me ask the obvious question. I mean, I have seen, whatever, the little videos with the lion that made a friend with a little deer, or heard people tell me that they're sure their pet snake loves them, But if this ancient shoot from the stump of Jesse can can bring the kind of peace that Isaiah is describing, then why do I still feel like it's probably a bad idea to go hug a lion? Hmm? Why do I think it's probably a bad idea to go anywhere near the ocean if this is right? It's a good question. I mean, I know this imagery in verses 6 through 9. I know it's a metaphor. I know he's trying to just describe something. But still, that kind of peace is clearly not here yet. So, So how can I find any solace or comfort or hope that this root of Jesse will actually come through on his promise? How do I know that Isaiah chapter 11 isn't just some pipe dream for weird religious people? Here's the thing. When we ask questions like that, we're forgetting something. When we ask questions like that, we're forgetting something. You see, we like passages like Isaiah chapter 11. These are the good ones. These are the ones we hang on our refrigerator. We like it when the Bible talks about peace and harmony and being free of danger. But we forget that the peace in Isaiah 11 comes after Isaiah 10. We forget that the peace in chapter 11 comes after the judgment in chapter 10. We forget that peace came after God mowed down every single person in Israel like a greenskeeper cutting the short grass on a golf course. That's when Isaiah 11 happens. After that. But more importantly, listen, when we ask how we can trust the root of Jesse will bring about this peace, listen, we forget that when it comes to Isaiah chapter 11, we're one of the stumps in Isaiah 10. We forget that part. We wonder when God will bring peace because I don't deserve this conflict. We wonder when God will bring peace because all these people are making my life miserable. It's unfair. When in reality, we're a part of the group that deserve to be cut down to a stump. So so when we ask how we can know if this root of Jesse will, in fact, come through on his job description, we need to remember, listen, there is something more fraught with conflict than what Isaiah describes in 6-9. through There is something scarier than a leopard lying down with a young goat. There is something more dangerous than a kid playing with a cobra. Listen, a goat standing in front of a lion is nothing compared to you standing in front of the lion of Judah with your sin all out on glorious display. That's terrifying. That's danger. The danger of you standing near the throne of the God Almighty... Is far worse than a child standing near the hole of a cobra. The rage in your God's fiery eyes when he looks at you and you have broken his command. He's created us. And we think, wow, it would be really great if we could play with a lion. That's the least of our concerns. God's wrath is far more dangerous than the bite of a lion or the venom of a snake. I mean, with animals, the worst that could happen is you could die. With God, we're talking eternity in hell, never ending death. But that's exactly why we can trust that this root of Jesse will usher in this peace that, that Isaiah is describing. Because listen, he's already ushered in a far greater peace. We can trust that Isaiah chapter 11 is going to take place because this root of Jesse has already ushered in a greater peace. You see, only this ancient root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, only he had the wisdom to know what needed to be done. Only Jesus had the understanding to know how to do it. And only this ancient root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, only he had the might to actually perform what he knew needed to be done. Only the the unassuming little shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse knew that he would have to face the perfectly accurate wrath of God in the place of traitors like you and I. Listen to the way Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. He says, But now in Christ, you who once were far off, you have been brought near, how? by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility that's the that's the horizontal peace that's been brought because of the the vertical peace He abolished the law, verse 15, of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So he took away all of the conflict between us Gentiles and the Jews in order to put us all into one group so that he could take one group and reconcile it to himself. End of verse 15. Create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, 16, and might reconcile us both to God. How? How? In one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Brothers and sisters, you can trust that peace is not found in something new, but in someone old, because Jesus Christ has already ushered in a greater peace than what Isaiah is describing. A peace that, as the writer of Hebrews says, gives you the, the confidence to just walk into the throne room of God, just walk right up to Him without evaporating. That kind of peace. A peace that as Paul said in Romans, it allows us to cry, cry out to the creator of heaven and earth and call him our father. Call him Abba. In fact, it's a peace that's so incredible, it's so enduring, it's so foreign that Paul says it surpasses all understanding. This peace that Christ has, has bought for us with, with God. Brothers and sisters, peace is not found in something new, but in Jesus Christ. The ancient shoot coming up out of the stump of Jesse. Now, that's all great. What does that actually look like tomorrow? What does this peace in Jesus Christ actually look like tomorrow when it feels like the truth of this message uh, evaporates into reality? What does it look like tomorrow when conflict in, in my marriage still exists? What does it look like tomorrow when when hate and animosity and oppression and all that stuff that we want to be freed from, it still exists? And Grant just said yesterday that peace is available through Jesus Christ, and today, life sucks. How does this peace work then tomorrow? Well, it looks like this. It looks like two things. I want you to listen to this first one because it is so important. Saints, the peace that we so desperately want is not found in the absence of conflict but in the presence of Christ. Peace is not found in the absence of conflict but in the presence of Christ. Saints, it's, it's not getting out of the valley of the shadow of death that will bring you peace. It's the shepherd that is walking through it with you. It's not restoration of a relationship that will bring you peace, but the assurance of, of the sovereign will of your loving Savior. It's not the absence of persecution or hate that will bring you peace, but the presence of the one who said, I will be with you always. And I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the kind of peace we have. Our world wants a cheap peace, a weak peace, A peace that only comes in the absence of conflict. And God says that's not enough. He wants to give His people a peace that is strong enough to withstand conflict. A peace in the midst of conflict. Because peace is not found in something new, but in the presence of someone old. Which means, therefore, second, the peace you're looking for tomorrow... It's found not just in trusting Jesus, but in trusting Him without being guarded. Look, if we hold back our trust in Jesus when things get hairy, we're, we're actually saying that we know something He doesn't. However, when we start to trust Him more, then we trust ourselves. That's when we begin to find the peace that exists not in the absence of conflict, but in the midst of it. That's when we begin to find the peace that surpasses understanding because our world starts to say, how can you have peace if there's still conflict? Well, I can have peace because I trust Jesus. Let me give you one third and final thing as a conclusion for all three of those I think a lot of times we pray for peace. We pray for God to solve something and we feel like our prayers aren't answered because that conflict doesn't go away. Whatever it is, health, friends, family, whatever. The conflict doesn't go away and so we feel like our prayer isn't answered. When instead of asking, um, did we pray the right prayer? What I mean is this. If peace is found in the presence of someone old instead of in something new, when you, when you find yourself in those moments of conflict, rather than praying for God to remove the conflict, pray for God to change your heart. Or maybe I could say that differently. Rather than just praying for God to remove the conflict, that's not wrong. To, to add to that prayer, but if not, God, change my heart. Lift my gaze to see you instead of this mess. I think a lot of times we feel desperate uh, for, the, for peace because we're, we're not uh, praying that God would change our heart to see where peace really comes from. When we have standing right next to us all the peace we need in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, wh- that's when we begin to find peaceful rest in the presence of someone old. When we begin to trust Him More than we trust ourselves, we begin to find peace in in someone who from the beginning of time had all of our days counted. Listen, God isn't worried about your death. He knows when it's going to happen. He knows how it's going to happen. He's not up there freaking out. We can have that peace. The peace of someone who, who before we were born knew our weaknesses and our needs better than we know ourselves today. When we begin to trust Jesus Christ's wisdom and understanding and might more than we trust ourselves, that's when Isaiah said, in verse 10, we find the peace that's a signal to the nations. A signal to the world of the glorious rest found not in something new, but in someone old. One star burns in the darkness, shines with the promise of Emmanuel. One child born in the stillness living within us Emmanuel So do not be afraid his love is strong enough to save us Nothing stands in the way of his love is strong enough to save to lead us excuse me so we're singing glory Let there be peace and let it start in me Please stand with me and let's make that our response